Hi, I'm Laura, and I'm a mom of two wonderful boys with BBS. Hi, I'm Jill, and I'm a mom of one little girl with BBS. And we are learning to live rare. No matter the distance. This is our second official podcast for living the rare life Barnett Beetle Syndrome. We want to thank everyone for tuning in with us again, and we're glad you're not tired of listening to our voices. Yet. And we have exciting news. We have an ultra special guest today. We have Dr. Haas from the Marshfield Clinic, which is a specialty clinic in the U.S. that specializes in Barde Beetle Syndrome. Amazing. So knowledgeable. He's started the Center of Excellence. He started Cribs. He's done so much for the Barde Beetle community, and we cannot wait to jump in and really talk to him. So without further ado, let's introduce everyone to Dr. Haas. Do you want to introduce yourself? and tell us a little bit about you. Sure. I'm Bob Haas. I'm a um, pediatric nephrologist, children's kidney disease. Um, I did my training at the medical school at the University of Utah and then on to um, uh, further training in, um, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. I was in the military to pay for medical school. And then I did a fellowship at um, UT Southwestern in Dallas. And following that, after I graduated, I thought I knew everything about medicine. Um, and then I met this mom who had not yet delivered a baby. The baby had very large, bright kidneys. And so I said, I know exactly what that is. That's what we call also recessive polycystic kidney disease. But then the baby was born and had extra fingers and toes. It started this, this experience with me of learning more about Barty Beetle syndrome. And that was back, I have to say that was back in the early 1990s. And so there's no genetic testing for BBS. We didn't even have diagnostic criteria for BBS. All we knew that there was a disease called BBS. Um, so I've learned a lot over the years. And it's been my pleasure to, to be involved um, with the care of individuals with BBS. I'm currently uh, working at the Marshall Clinic in Marshall, Wisconsin, where we've developed a center that we call the Center of Excellence for BBS. Um, that's a designation that we kind of established for ourselves because there's no criteria for a Center of Excellence in, in Barney Beetle Syndrome anyway. But um, we feel that the program is absolutely amazing and a great place for people to come. And also, um, to better understand the long-term care of individuals with BBS, we developed the clinic registry investigating BBS or cribs, which we'll also talk about tonight. Awesome. Thank you very much. So if we want to jump right into the questions, I guess the first question that makes sense to ask is what is Barde Beetle Syndrome? That's a great question. So um, I'm going to kind of give a little history of Barde Beetle Syndrome. So back in 1920, um, there was a doctor by the name of Dr. Barde, and he um, described three uh, two children that had features of Barde Beetle Syndrome. Excuse me if it's three or two, but anyway, two, a couple of children. And then almost a year later, there's a Dr. Beetle who described it further. And it, it, from that, we got this diagnosis of this disease of Barty Beetle syndrome. Um, and Barty Beetle syndrome is something that is inherited. It's usually inherited with one parent from each parent carries the gene. They, and when both genes are in the child, that causes the child to have this condition. In our body, we've got these, all these little antenna that stick off of the surface of the cell. We call it primary cilia. We have one cilia per cell in almost all the cells of our body. And those cilia act to communicate. They allow the next cell to communicate with the, the other cell or messages get passed around. So it's a little bit like a cell phone that allows us the, the people to, to communicate together. And that's what is the problem in, in Barty Beetle syndrome is those little cell towers, those antenna don't work right. And so they lead to messages being goofed up. And those messages start early on when a baby is just forming inside of its mom, when it's just an embryo. There's these messages that tell us that we're supposed to have five fingers on our, each hand. Instead, the message becomes you should have six fingers. 
fingers or six toes. Um, or it tells us that there should be all that, like the heart should be pointing towards the left, but instead it puts the heart towards the right and it might put the liver on the wrong side of the body or whatever. So it's a message, it's a messaging defect. Later on, as people are, after they're born, we find all sorts of things, but they evolve over time. And so, and everyone's different. So you can't say, well, this is the way every child with BBS is. And so instead, you know, some people have extra fingers and toes, some people don't. Um, we find that, that almost everyone with BBS over time lo loses vision. And so there's a progressive loss of vision that happens with BBS. Um, but we see a lot of other issues that with BBS and I, you know, we can kind of go through those tonight, but, but basically Barty Beetle syndrome is an inherited condition where those little cilia, those little antennas on the cells just get mixed up, leading to basically every organ of the body can be affected in some way by Barty Beetle syndrome. Not everyone has everything, but all, of, but many people would have some different features of the disease. So I guess that leads us into asking, are you able to do kind of a brief summary since it does affect so many different systems? Are you able to do kind of a brief summary for us about what's affected, sure. kind of where that leads us? Okay, so let's start at the top. Yeah, okay. So so we do see individuals with Barty Beetle syndrome that have seizures. And so about 12 or 13% of kids with BBS will have seizures, so it's usually during childhood, but we sometimes see it in adulthood. We, uh, many times those seizures become, uh, evolve, will evolve and eventually go away. And they can be in different patterns. And so seizures, as a neuro, I'm not a neurologist, but neurologists classify seizures as, as obstinate seizures where someone just kind of stares off into space and they just kind of zone out to grand mal seizures where they're shaking violently. Um, and that violence can, violence shaking can go on so long that it becomes what's called status epilepticus where they have to do things to make the, the body completely stop um, um, all uh, movement and so on. And so, so we see seizures in it. Sometimes we see some brain abnormalities, but most people with BBS have a normal MRI of their brain. Interestingly, and, and so I'm going to kind of go off on this a little bit. Oftentimes, people with BBS have speech problems and that their speech is a little bit delayed or maybe really delayed or they just are hard to understand um, and it's pretty common. Um, so we did a study where we uh, did something called functional MRIs. And so a functional MRI is where you um, make the brain work. And when the brain works, it consumes oxygen. And the MRI, a functional MRI, can see where the oxygen is being consumed. And so we had 10 people with BBS and 10 people without BBS do this functional MRI. And we found that all the 10 people without BBS, all their brain, the, the speech centers in the brain were in one spot, which we always knew where they're at. Whereas the people with BBS, three out of the 10 had their had the speech center in the wrong part of the brain, which tells me that, that even when the brain's developing as a, as a fetus, it kind of gets messages mixed up. And so it sends things like speech centers to the wrong part of the brain. I'll move on from the brain to the eyes. In our eyes, we have what's called rods and cones. Rods help us see in the dark. Cones help us see colored vision and more precise vision in the central area. And the rods have a, what's called an outer, the rods and cones have what's called an outer segment and an inner segment. And then in those two segments are connected by these cilia-like structures um, that need to allow the messages from the outer and the inner eye to work. And also it keeps the health of the rods and cones healthy. Well, over time that degenerates and leads to vision loss. And typically in Barry Beale syndrome, people lose their peripheral vision and their dark vision. So one of the first things we see in kids with BBS is oftentimes they have trouble in a dark room where they're not familiar. So they, they're fine at home, but if you take them to a friend's house, and they just don't know where things are at and the, and the lights are not very strong. They might trip over something that's obvious to everybody else. So kind of an example of that is I had a patient who was playing baseball and the ball got hit out. He was out in the outfield. The ball got hit and it went, and it went into the shade of a tree and he could not find the ball for the life of him. The ball was sitting there on the ground, but he could not see it because of the shade. I mean, so it's, he couldn't see the ball. Um, that's that classic feature of, of this rod cone dystrophy. Now, some people have cone dystrophy 
which is the central vision goes bad first. Um, that's less common um, in BBS, but it does happen. And so so it sometimes can be the central vision that goes bad. But, but typically in BBS, it's the peripheral vision and they get gradual tunnel vision. So the things constrict more and more and more leading to impaired vision. And that's pretty common in BBS um, that we see. Next thing from the eyes down is nose. A lot of people with BBS can't smell things normally. So they have what's called anosmia. So they, you, know, you have to kind of, kind of quiz people about this one, but, but it, it just, they can't smell things quite the same way that you and I, well, the way you can. I've got a story. I, I have, my sister and I both cannot smell. And so I relate to people with BBS really well. Um, and so the way I know that is my wife will say, ooh, that smells awful. And I'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. I just really can't smell what they're talking about. Um, and so a lot of people with BBS can't smell right. Now, some people with BBS, interestingly, have uh, an increased sensitivity to smells. And I don't, I can't figure that one out, but, but that's true. Um, the mouth, um, people with BBS tend to have a high arched palate. It's soft, the, the part of our, our throat is high arch. And so they oftentimes have a little nasally voice. If you, I, I can pretty much think I could pick someone with BBS out by just listening to their voice because it's kind of nasally because that high arch palate, um, their teeth can be either spaced too much or they can be crowded and they can get various dental problems that go along with it. And because of that, that funny structure of their face, the tubes that in the back of the ear called the eustachian tubes don't lay quite right. So a lot of kids with BBS get lots of ear infections when they're young. They tend to outgrow it as they get older, but frequent ear infections are common in BBS. Um, moving down, we have the thyroid gland. There's a, a, a common phenomenon where uh, people with BBS get something that's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis, where the body attacks the thyroid gland and causes low thyroid. And so I encourage people with BBS to get their thyroid checked, their function of their thyroid checked at least once a year because they oftentimes have thyroid problems. In the lungs, we, we oftentimes see babies, typically kids that don't have BBS, they tend not to get asthma until they're two, three, four, five years of age. But in BBS, it oftentimes kids are getting wheezing and, and breathing difficulties when they're just very, very young, even as a, a two or three month old infant. And so early onset asthma can occur in some of the patients with BBS. Um, I talked about the, the heart. Sometimes the heart will be uh, have structural problems with this. So like there'll be a gap between a hole between the two upper chambers or lower chambers or a, a hole between both upper and lower chambers. Um, and so it's important for people with BBS to have at least one echocardiogram then sometime in their life um, to make sure everything's okay. We've seen some people that come to BBS clinic and they've never had an echo uh, of the uh, echocardiogram of their heart and they might be 30 years old and we'll do an echocardiogram and lo and behold, they've got a defect in their heart that needs surgical care. And so so it's important for everyone with BBS to get their heart checked out. Um, the heart usually points towards the left, but in some people with BBS, the heart points towards the right or they'll have other abnormalities of the, of the organs like that. The, the stomach's supposed to be on the left side of the body, but it's on the right side instead or they have other defects. And so I kind of think that the, the central part of the, of the person with BBS is a little bit different. So we see like tracheal webs and it's a, there's a, if your child has a surgery and they have anesthesia, ask the doctor, the anesthesiologist, if they've got a bifid epiglottis. That doesn't make any difference, but it, it doesn't cause any damage. But their, their epiglottis is sipping a flap is kind of, is, is separated apart. You know, and that's called a bifid epiglottis. And we just see these midline defects. And so some people have their intestines in the, a little bit different. And there's a thing called Hirschsprung's disease where the um, the nerves that make the bowels poop don't work right. And so they get, um, they have pretty severe constipation that needs surgery done. But constipation is really, really, really common in BBS. Um, I would say that 95% of people that come to see us in the clinic have a history of constipation problems. It's not universal, but it's so common. And I think it's because those nerves are a little bit uh, abnormal um, in people with BBS, so they get constipation easier. Um, and that can be a real problem. You know, it, I, I don't want to speak of constipation, it's just no big deal. It can be a huge, huge problem. Um, also, speaking of the 
midline in in girls that have BBS, sometimes the uterus and the, the bladder can connect together. We call that a urogenital sinus. And we see that in some people with BBS, that, that they have an abnormal passageway for the the stu- for the, the vagina and the uterus and the, uh, the bladder to, to work together. And so sometimes, sometimes they have this urogenital sinus or they have what's called vaginal atresia, where the, the, the urine, the, the, the um, vagina doesn't open up normally to the uterus. So it's important for careful evaluation of the urinary tract be done in both males and females. In males, they have something that's called hypospadias or epispadias, where the opening at the tip of the penis is either on the top or the, on the bottom of the penis, leading to some problems. It's a little bit more of an issue for girls than for, for little girls and little boys because girls' problems are a little bit more complex when it comes to this issue. And the kidneys can have some sometimes some deformities such as fluid within them. But the big thing with the kidneys is the kidneys can be bright and large. But usually that's prenatally. As they get older, the kidneys take on a more normal size to them and a little bit better appearance to it. As far as um, going on down, we can see what's called hip dysplasia where one hips one, one leg's shorter than the other leg. That's pretty common in BBS. Um, or we can see other deformities of the hip bones and leg bones. There's something called genuvalgum, which is kind of like a bowed leg feature of BBS that we can see. Their feet tend to be flat. So flat feet are really common in BBS and broad. So it's kind of like Fred Flintstone that we kind of see these fat, these flat, fat, short feet that, that come along with it. So that's kind of head to toe. And I'm sure I've skipped about 50 things that I didn't mention, but that's kind of gives you a feel for BBS. Well, that was awesome. A lot of information. I definitely, as you were talking, picturing each one of my boys and how this has affected the them. different features. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess our next question is how many genes does Bartlett Beetle syndrome affect? Uh, 27 right now. We just reported a new gene that came out in a paper in the, the last week or so from Cribs. Um, um, so there's about 27 genes. There's probably another 27 to find. Um, but um, the most most people have BBS1. That accounts in, in the registry, in the Cribs registry, about 40%, actually 39.2% have BBS1 as the most common gene, followed by BBS. 10. So those two genes really um, cover the majority of uh, the, the more than half the people with BBS. Um, then we see some other genes like BBS2 and BBS12 and so on. We, we see these different genes that are, make up a small portion like BBS2 I think is oh, um, you can probably correct me it's about 6 to 8% I think of all patients um, with BBS2. Um, and there's some genes that there's only one or two people that we know of with it. So um, they're out there. They're pretty rare genes. Um, I know there's one gene that we um, discovered well uh, a couple years ago um, called CEP or central Somme protein 164 and we found it in one young lady that came to clinic um, and then just recently we found another person with it so there's two people that we know of in the literature there's a few more people with it so some of these genes are really super rare but BBS1 is the most common gene so overall how prevalent is it like how many people would like have been diagnosed or living yeah. with BBS Laura those are two different things okay so you say how many people have it and how many people are diagnosed because I I think there's a lot of people not diagnosed with BBS. In the United States, based on an estimate of 1 in 160,000 people, which is the estimated prevalence, there's probably about 3,000, 2,500 to 3,000 people in America with it. And so you can pick the country of your of your choice. Gillian, you're from Canada. There's a lot less people in Canada. So it's probably 1,000, maybe 750. I don't know, not very many, because um, I don't know the Canadian population right now. But if you do that, you know, they look at the population divided by 160,000 in North America, that gives you about the prevalence of it. There's some populations where we see a lot more. So where I live, there's a fair amount of people that are, are Hmong. Hmong are a group of people that came from um, Laos. They um, There's quite a few uh, Hmong people in France, and so you see some papers from France about this. But um, we see a lot
lot of people with Hmong that have it, and their their disease prevalence is much much higher. Or Newfoundland has a lot of BBS because partly because people live close together, you kind of start increasing the amount of genes that people have. Even though they they don't marry their sister, they might marry their fifth cousin, and that brings the genes pretty close together. So um so but I I I really believe also there's many people who have BBS that don't get discovered, and so um I think that's for two big reasons. One is the doctors don't know about Barty Beetle syndrome, and so I'm so glad you guys are doing these type of, of, of um, seminars because you want people to know about BBS and talk to their doctor about it because their doctor may not, I guarantee you in medical school, they do not talk about Barty Beetle syndrome. It's not part of the topics. There's 7,000 rare diseases and there's no way everyone can know all 7,000 rare diseases, um, but we need to be, bring awareness to it. And so, so I think there's people out there with Barty Beetle syndrome that simply don't know that they've got Barty Beetle syndrome. Shortly after I moved here to the Marshall Clinic from Phoenix, I was asked to see a young lady who had been followed by another nephrologist for years. I walked in the room and she was Hmong, by the way, but um, I walked in the room and I noticed that she had six fingers. And I was seeing her because of chronic kidney disease, but she had six fingers. And then she also had a white cane and she was 14 years of age. And I started asking questions and soon I realized that she had BBS and no one had diagnosed her. I asked her about her. She had 10 siblings, three of them or two of her siblings, so three altogether had BBS, but never diagnosed. You know, And I think that there's plenty of those stories out there of people who have BBS, but don't know they've got BBS. That is super interesting, actually, that there was just like that many people that just don't know. Yeah, and I, I think, think a lot. that's the whole point of us doing this, Yeah, which is another reason we're so thankful to have you on. Our next question, we want to ask you, what is Marshfield? What, what goes on there? What kind of stuff does Marshfield do? Can you give us a little rundown yeah, about yeah. that? Well, I saw Marshfield is this little town of 18,000 people in the middle of Wisconsin. <laughs> but but what Mar- what's Marshfield? Marshfield is, is a place that, that's dedicated to Barty Beetle Syndrome, um, that, that we want to make a difference. Whether you come to Marshfield to be seen or whether you just call me on the phone and ask me questions. And you can call me if you live in Australia. And we've had people from Australia come actually to the clinic, but I'm happy to talk to people regardless of where they live about BBS. But Marshfield, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the history of it. Back in 2004, 14. I, I used to go to the, to the BBS, I still go to the BBS conferences, but I went to the BBS conference in 2014. I came away from it with two take-home messages. One is the frustration people had with going to their doctor and being, and actually this was not 2000, this was 2012. Okay. So they they go to their doctor and they'd say, my child's got Barty Beale syndrome. And the doctor would say, mm, okay, I'll be right back. And it's like they went went back to look at the textbook to figure out what BBS was. And then they came back in to talk to them um, as if they knew something something about BBS. And it was so frustrating. And, and people also found that there, there was cases where they go to the doctor and say, my child's got BBS and they need this. And the doctor says, I don't care. That's not important to me. I'm not going to do it. It was just, it's poor care. And and the doctors didn't talk to each other. So the ophthalmologist didn't talk to the endocrinologist, the ne- endocrinologist didn't talk to the orthopedic surgeon. No one talked to each other. And so it made it so care was really fragmented and frustrating. And so I came back home after that conference and I got all the people that I, I just really love to work with. And we sat down, we pizza and we talked about it and we said we can do better and so we developed this program where people come and they usually are here for two to four days and they get basically all their care done at one sitting so it's kind of nice for that um, but they see head to toe we have behavioral specialists who know BBS and can give really sound advice to the individual and to the family about Barty Beale syndrome we have ophthalmologists we have um, 
neurologists, we have neuropsychologists, too, because we want to look at the strengths and weaknesses of people's learning capabilities. So we want to work with their school back home on that. They see cardiologists, they see nephrologists, they see occupational therapists and physical therapists, they see dietitians, they see dentists, they see, we put everyone together, you know, and we, we do that over a three or four day period. And then at the end of that time, we write a report that we send to their doctors saying, here's the things that we see, here's what we recommended, how can we help you as their primary care doctor care for your child? And or you're, you might be 40 years of age or 64 years of age that when you come to clinic for the first time. Our oldest first time patient was 69 years of age. Of age. And so so um, we, we just try to put it together for people. Now, we know that everyone in the world can't come to Marshfield. It's a delightful place, but everyone doesn't want to come to Marshfield to get care, especially at this time of the year where it's like minus 10 degrees outside right now. Um, uh, that might be exaggeration, but it's cold. Um, anyway, so we know that people don't want to always come long distance. And so we work with you. We, we try, I try to be responsive to people. Sometimes I get phone calls and I say, I'll call you back and then I forget to because I'm pretty human and I forget to do things I promise. But nonetheless, we try to be a center that's there to help other people. I talked to um, someone today from Kansas City, who's a doctor who's trying to set up a program similar to ours in Kansas. It's a little bit different because she's obesity. She's an obesity doctor, so she's focused on that one issue. But we're trying to develop these same type of programs all across the world. We want to see similar programs. But that's what Marshall Clinic is. It's a center that, that you know, obviously they do a lot of other things. They do heart surgeries. They do all sorts of things. But but they, f- I try to focus them on Barty Beetle syndrome, and they, I think I've done a pretty good job of getting everyone in line. So um, the, if you call a clinic and say you're, you have Barty Beal syndrome operator when you talk to the operator on the phone she'll know to call you call me about it because they just know BBS and Bob Oz go on the same page so what what is Cribs can you explain to us kind of yeah. what is Cribs and what okay, do so- they do <laughs> So like I said, you know, I came away from that conference with two things in mind. One was the clinic, how we could do a better job of, of comprehensive, holistic care for people with BBS. The second one was the importance of a registry. And you know, when you think about a registry, it's not like a telephone book. It's not like, you know, it's just something you open up the directory and say, oh, Laura Chester lives at this address and here's her phone number and so on. And Gillian, you live at this address and this is your contact. A registry is an effort to track longitudinally the complex issues of Barty Beetle syndrome because it's... There's never going to be big research in BBS. In other words, I mean, there's never. When I read a study about blood pressure medicines, they enroll two hundred thousand people in a study to look at a certain thing. You'll never do that in BBS. Um, it's hard to get studies, and so if you can look at things from a registry, you can basically track things by. You can track features, so you can track like how common is polydactyly, or how common is this thing where their heart points the wrong direction, or how common is kidney failure, or whatever. You can track those things, and so by doing a registry. And following people up every year, as we try to do, it allows us to know what's going on in your life. And we keep, we have a, a set questionnaire and we change the questionnaire a little bit each year, but we ask you questions and that allows us to understand the features of BBS. And we keep that um, very private. So in other words, we don't share your your name, your phone number, your information with anyone else, but we do keep the, the, the features of the disease. So we, every year that you're in it, we ask up to 280 questions about your child or your health with BBS. And we try to get medical records as much as we can. And then we use that to answer questions that we are that we think are important. We also share CRIBS data with other researchers um, um, who are interested in BBS to help them. So let me give you an example of that. Um, one of the exciting things is gene therapy for vision. Well, as, as Dr. Drack at the University of Iowa or Phil Bills in London, when they, they're trying to get funding from big companies to pay for those things because it's very expensive, 
concept. If they say, well, we know of five people with BBS1 or we know of 10 people with BBS2, no one's going to fund that. You know, there's, there's no one's going to give you, a, because these are multi-million dollar research. You have to be able to show them evidence. And so, for instance, last night, I wrote a letter um, to a researcher providing him data from Cribs that he could share with a a investor in his research. And that's the way things are going to happen. Uh, they, you're not going to see rare disease research done by people simply putting out advertisements on the news media. It not. So the registries allow us to track the disease, report the disease, and to help facilitate research. And so that's what Cribs is all about. It's a, it's a way to gather information in a ethical, protected way to understand the course of BBS. So, you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago, a paper we wrote, um, you know, the, uh, it's about kidney failure BBS. So those people that need a dialysis or a transplant with BBS. And, you know, the, the number one cause of premature death in BBS is kidney failure. It's number one. It passes out everything else. And that scares people, right? I mean, Laura, I know when I was talking to you, you were scared when I talked about BBS and kidney failure. Um, but using the data from Cribs, we looked at 607 people with BBS. who, And from that, we identified 44 people that had kidney failure or 7.2% had kidney failure. We looked at the genes. We looked at their features. We looked at those people that had urogenital sinuses. Like I mentioned, the girls can have abnormal features to the construction of their, um, their their general anatomy. And that allowed us to give information that's important to you as people. And that paper I'll put on our web. I, I just, I'm waiting for something to go through. And then I'll put it on our, our website. So anyone that wants to can read that. They can share it with their nephrologist or their urologist or whoever and say, this is what's now we know. And by no means would I ever give anyone's name on that. I mean, journals don't allow you to put names. You know, that, that would be totally unethical. But it gives us information that can make a difference for you as individuals with a loved one or with BBS yourself. And that's where the registry comes into a way to do research in rare disease that's not possible like you can do rare research in other common diseases. I have a real quick follow-up question to that. Um, <clears throat> so we've talked before about the fact um, my boys have multiple gene mutations. Um, so they have it in the BBS1 and 7 gene and then the 1, 7, and 16 gene and how they have both sets of the 1 and then one set of both 7 and 16. Yeah. Um, how does that play in if they show more features in one of the single gene? Yeah, that's, Laura, that's such a good question. I don't think it's going to ever be answered easily. And let me tell you why. Okay. Um, there, there is a thing that um, Dr. Cassana identified. Dr. Cassana was, is a famous researcher for BBS. Um, and he identified something that's called triallelism, which means that, that some people with BBS have to have not only the two main genes, but also have to have a third gene to have BBS. So he reported a family where the children, um, there were four children in the home. Uh, one of them had BBS. That child had two BBS9 genes. It also had a BBS2 gene. And correct me, I might be wrong on my numbers, but I believe it's two, one, two gene and two BBS9 genes. They also had another child with BBS2, BBS9 genes, but no BBS. And so his theory is that you had to have three genes in some people to, in order to have BBS. He extended that theory to something called mutational Load, which means the more genes that you have altered, the more disease expression you have. That's where that word mutational load came from. So in your case, Laura, I, I don't want to name your children, but if you have one child that 
kids got two BBS1 genes and maybe a, a BBS16 and a BBS12 or what? I can't remember what you seven. said. Seven. Seven gene. Maybe that child has more mutational load than another child, therefore more gene expression. That was Dr. Cassandra's theory. It's not been supported by some other researchers. And I don't know that we know right now if it's true or false, but there is probably influence, but we don't know how, how that is influenced. It's also important to realize that there's a difference in, in how a gene might influence it. So for instance, there's some variants in genes that probably don't make a heel of beans difference. You know, so we, all of us, all of us have mutated genes in our body. We just do. And many of those don't make a hill of beans difference. They just don't bother us because they ultimately, the, the effect on these, you know, proteins that get made by our genes are very long things usually. And if, if, you, if you mess up one protein, it may not be very important if it's in a certain section of the protein, but if it's in a very, very important part, because proteins, they have to fold, you know, they don't, they just don't see as strings, they fold into a, a, a structure. And if it's at a very critical folding spot, it may make it so that the protein doesn't work at all. So it's, it, it matters which gene is affected and where it's affected at. In our registry, in CRIBS, we take all the information. So if you give us the genetic reports, we put in our database every gene that that person has in that we this reported in the effort to try to answer your question in the future. But it's it's a pretty heavy question you're asking, Laura. That there's not easy to answer. So we're interested in hearing if there's any new or interesting research. I know you mentioned that paper and then finding that new BBS gene that you guys just found. But is there anything that kind of has caught your eye lately? Anything that would be good for other BBS parents to know to keep an eye out for? Yeah, I mean, can I just suggest if to everyone, there's a thing called PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. Okay? And if you type that in on the in the into the computer, you'll get the webpage. You can sign up for information about BBS whenever any paper comes out about BBS, it will be, you'll get a, a knock on your door saying a new paper came out today. Um, and so I encourage you to do that. So like, for instance, this week, there's a paper that came out from what country? I can't remember about how they were able to, to selectively find sperm from a person, from a male with BBS that did not carry the BBS gene so that he could have a baby, so that his wife could have a baby. Um, and so that's reproductive issues, you know, so that's going to become a pretty hot matter, you know, where this in vitro fertilization allows, you know, kids with BBS are special. They're wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful, but they're, they have their challenges in life. So whether it be in vitro fertilization for females or for in this case a male, it gives new opportunity for someone. And so I think you can see more about that. But that's a paper that came out that Ian recently published a paper on um, the vision and the phenotypes of vision. And, and that's a nice paper that she published. But there's every every there's always these new papers coming out. So I encourage you to get on PubMed and see the papers that are coming out. I'm pretty proud of this paper on kidney failure um, because I think it, it helps us pick out who needs special therapy because 92% of people with BBS don't go on to kidney failure. So let's, let's not spend time worrying about kidney failure in those 92%. Let's focus on the 8% that really need our attention. Um, uh, so that's an important paper. There's a paper coming out soon about septmelanotide and its effect in Barty Beetle syndrome that should be coming out within the next few months. Um, and that's pretty exciting. There's, um, the the beauty, I think, of right, what's happening right now in BBS is now because, I think, because of cribs, um, people big pharmaceutical companies are interested in drug development in BBS. And they know it because the BBS community is a committed group of people. We have a registry so we can find people who might be interested in studies um, because drug companies spend whole tons of money trying to find people with rare diseases to be in studies. We can just say, I've got 15 people with that condition. How many, you know, who do you want to be in the study? And 
And so, so these studies are, are being made possible. And, and you're going to see more and more things coming out in the press, um, in, in both the lay press as well as in scientific uh, and medical journals about BBS because semolatides make a big deal. And, and now companies realize that there's something to be had here. Um, and so I think you'll see other therapies um, coming down the road. We wanted to ask you about what kind of camps and opportunities does the, are run through the Marshfield Clinic or that BBS patients can, you know, experience and have sure. an opportunity to do something with other kids that have BBS. Yeah. So one of my best memories that I will never forget in my entire life was um, Lions Camp for BBS. So to explain that a little bit, I had, during my my training as a nephrologist, we had special camps for kids with kidney disease because ki- uh, ki- kids with kidney disease, they oftentimes can't go swimming. They can't do this or that. And those camps made it possible for those kids to, to spend a week being kids, you know, just having fun. And so it was my dream to do the same thing for BBS. And so, so we have a lion's camp, not very far from Marshall Clinic. It's really a beautiful, beautiful place. And so in 2019, we invited people to come to the BBS lion's camp. And it was all f- funded by one very, very kind, uh, relatively wealthy gentleman. Um, um, I, I can't give you his name. He won't let me to, but he's, he's a movie producer in Hollywood. Um, and um, I guarantee you, Gillian, you know who it is. I just can't tell you. Um, anyway, so he paid for us to have lion's camp. Um, and so we had this wonderful experience. We had people come from all over, from Canada, from the United States, from Puerto Rico. I know Puerto Rico is part of the United States, but Puerto Rico. And it was so much fun. And we just had fun for the whole week. We, we They had dances. They had plays. They played games. Um, they, they did tie-dyeing and all sorts of things. And um, it was something I'll never forget. We wanted to do the same thing in 2021, but then this thing called COVID came along that really screwed things up. We, we are planning to try to do it in 2023, um, assuming that COVID goes away and we can get together. We just didn't feel good about having kidney transplant patients or other people with immune deficiencies be around COVID. We just couldn't feel that would be right. And so so that was that's the Lions Camp. We'll continue to do it. It's just too much fun. Lions Camp is, is something that we hope to have many, many more times. So we do that. We do hold conferences. This year, we had a BBS Fun Day in August. We tried to advertise it for people to, to know about. I'm not sure that our advertisement goes well enough, but um, it was just a day for, we play, We did all sorts of fun things, like um, um, I'll name that tune. So we had people that named, they would, had to, you know, we started to play the music, they had to name the tune, tune. and it was just a fun day together. Um, so we've done that, and we'll keep on doing those fun things, because we think it's important. We um, There's the, the BBS conferences, and we've been helping, we've tried to help out with those conferences in the past. I'm not sure what's going on this year. I understand it might be in Utah. I've, I've, I've not heard the details about that, but we, we hope to hold conferences. They ask if we'd hold a conference here this year, but again, because of COVID, our institution, Marshall Clinic, won't let us hold co- large conferences here until COVID subsides. Um, so um, I think they're going to have, the U.S. BBS organization is going to have one in, in Salt Lake City, Utah this year. I don't know that for sure, um, but we will continue to have BBS camps. We're going to increase them over time, I hope, because um, there's too much fun. There, there's so much fun, and that's what we do. Those are some things we do. That's awesome, and I really want to know the movie producer. I know you can't tell me, but now my brain is doing a hundred different things at once. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well. Uh, that leads me into the question. I know you went into it a little bit about how COVID has affected Marshfield and all of the camps and opportunities, opportunities and stuff. Are there any other things that you guys have been doing differently to try to deal with COVID or have any of your policies changed or anything like that? Well, I, I'm going to talk about the, my employer, Marshfield Clinic. They, they, they're very, they've done a lot of things to try to make it so that COVID doesn't spread. And you know, those are, I think those are probably practiced by 
many hospitals throughout the throughout the world. Um, so um, there's a lot of precautions that way. You know, so when you come to clinic, you have to wear a mask, and it can only be one one parent per child because we just don't want to spread the the, the bug the virus. Um, so we do that. You know, we do encourage our patients to get the vaccine, and I know there's diff- different opinions throughout the world, and I don't want to go into the politics of all that. But I do think that COVID is devastating. Um, we have seen people with COVID with BBS die of COVID, um, and that's that's heartbreaking, but true. Um, I, there's no reason I think that people with BBS are more are protected from COVID. There's just no reason I have that to to believe that, that there's anything protective about BBS and COVID. On the other hand, I do think that many people with BBS have risk factors for complications, such as diabetes or kidney transplants or obesity um, or asthma. Um, those are all known risk factors for, for complications with COVID. And so I encourage people to strongly consider getting the vaccination if your child's over five years of age um, or for your own self. And I encourage you to use uh, good protection against COVID. And I know that there's, I, I know that there's a lot of opinion opinion there, but I, I think it's my obligation as a, as a physician to say, I encourage people to consider getting the vaccination. You just answered like three of my other questions I was going to ask, which is great. So I think the last question we have is just, is there anything else you'd like to add? Anything that we didn't talk about that you were looking forward to talking to us about? Well, I think these type of things are great because people have so many questions, right? And and they need a place they can turn to and listen and other people can listen to them. And so I love the fact that the parents get together and talk about what they're seeing with their own child or their what they see themselves. Um, you know, one thing the Marshall Clinic also sponsors, I should say, is a number of different talk groups that are available to people from across the world. It's free to call in. They are on U.S. Central Time, so that does make it hard if you live in England or whatever. But we have a sports group, for instance, where people can just talk about sports together. We have a women's group. We have a adults group. We have a young adults group. Um, we have um, uh, a parent support group. And those things are available to to you. And I, I try to include those in the newsletters I send out. So I encourage, encourage you to use these opportunities to get to know each other because there's power in numbers. It's really, I look at, in my newsletters, I say the BBS family because I, I sense that there is a strong bond between people that are walking the same path of having a, a loved one with BBS. And so I, I I love what you guys are doing to reach out to the, the community worldwide and because we need to keep doing that. Um, that we're, we're going to be more powerful as we work together. We just want to say, Dr. Haas, thank you so much for coming on, for taking the time out of your day. I know you have a busy work day and you came and did this at the end of your night. So I just want to say how much we appreciate you talking to us, but how much more we appreciate you realizing that there is a need for something like this. I don't think you understand as parents of something like this, how incredible it is to see that other people care about our kids. It means so much to see that people are actually see that our kids are worthy of something more that our kids aren't just a diagnosis. Our kids deserve to have fun and they deserve medical care and therapies and you're making all of this possible and I just want to be super emotional and super cheesy and thank you for everything that you and your team have done over the years and we really appreciate you. Thank you, Gillian. Thank you very much. That means a lot for both of you. I do want to add that, yeah, I mean, the number, I think almost every parent, if you talk to them, if you've had a child or even an adult with BBS, you've had doctors either brush off your symptoms or treat you at some time like you're overreacting or you know it's no big deal we ran into that a lot at the beginning so knowing that there's doctors out there that don't just treat you like that that actually look you know look at what's going on and really help you get to the bottom of what's going on that's super important to us because a lot of times we feel unheard thank you so 
Well, thank you for inviting me to speak. And it's been delightful just to, to sit and talk with you about something that's really important. Well, that was super informative. And it was really nice to talk to Dr. Haas. That was. And, you know, I loved all the information he shared about Marshall Clinic and the Center of Excellence and Cribs. And just everything that he really brought to the table tonight. I think there was even a lot of stuff. I know we were both taking notes. There's a lot of stuff that we were never even told before. So it's cool to hear someone who specializes in it. But I think we got to have some doctor's appointments coming up for our kids for the stuff that we didn't know. Definitely. There was a lot of stuff that it was like, all of a sudden you're like, um, five years in, I'm going to need to get that done. Yeah. Just constantly writing notes. I think a huge takeaway is that Cribs helps everybody so much and they're such a huge part of our life, but it's not our information that is helping us. It's people from the past, their information is helping us. So when we put our information in, our information will be used to help people 10 years in the future and being able to to continue to bring growth to the Bardabiddle community and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully one day finding a cure. Yeah, that's the goal. I mean, a phone call once a year isn't really that big of a deal. I think we just did our phone call and it only took me about 45 minutes. And it's nice to know that eventually someone could be helped out with our kids' information. That's true. And I don't know if he mentioned it, but I know we talked beforehand about records and how, you know, the most important part of this is just that phone call and making sure that they have it documented what the symptoms are so they know how to help people in the future and that they you know can find those patterns yeah and those patterns are going to be helpful and the fact that they're helping get funding for all of these therapies and stuff that can help you know maybe we'll get to see them maybe we won't but maybe someday like you said they'll find a cure or just be able to treat every single aspect of bbs another great thing that marshfield is doing is social media and you know getting people together and building a community that way Um, Um, through Zoom meetings is one way they have a Zoom meeting for sports and they have a Zoom meeting for parents and for uh, losing weight. Um, We will be putting all of that in the descriptions and on our Facebook page so you can find them. And there's lots of resources on Facebook. There's a Barty Beetle cookbook on Facebook and a lot of parents and families put in the recipes that they feed their kids for different diets that have to do with, you know, keeping kidneys healthy for diabetes to help uh, manage weight. There's a families of BBS page, which is a support group for parents and caregivers and people with BBS. That's how we met because we've never actually met in person and we're doing this all from two different countries. And then there's an adult Facebook page where people that are, you know, growing up with BBS, they can talk to each other and share their stories and create their own little tight knit community. So like Laura said, we're going to link all of these in the description of this podcast. So you can go check those out. Now you should be aware that a lot of these are specifically exclusive, exclusive to loved ones, caregivers, and people affected with BBS. If there is an outpouring of people that would like a Facebook page where you learn more about it, our Facebook page, Living the Rare Life, Bardet Beetle Syndrome, is a great place to get information about that. And if there's enough outpouring, we might end up starting our page just for informa- informational purposes. Please respect the privacy of these pages um, because these are parents dealing with major medical issues or people dealing with major medical issues. So if you're not let in, to some of these pages. I apologize. So that's our little disclaimer thrown on there. Well, everybody, it's been great. And thank you for taking the time to spend with us tonight and getting to know us a little bit more and getting to know Dr. Haas. In the future, we're hoping to have 
more guests. We're hoping to have some more parents share their stories, to have some of the original BBS parents get together and talk with us. We want to get some therapists on here, and we're working with Dr. Haas to hopefully get a couple different specialists from the Marshfield Clinic on here as well, which would be super cool. Moving forward, we will be posting episodes on the 15th and the first of each month, so look for those. Also remember that we did do a giveaway this week as our first episode aired, so remember to go on to both Instagram and Facebook and like, comment, and share or invite people to our page to be a part of of our community and help us grow. And again, for the giveaway, we're giving away $25 Amazon gift cards. But the only problem is you have to be in Canada in the United States. And I promise our international listeners, we will figure out how to get you guys Amazon gift cards at some point. But just starting out, we wanted to make it a little easier. So awesome. Thank you guys and enjoy the rest of your night. Bye. Bye.